From the darkest reaches of space to the deepest corners of your mind. Your mind. Welcome to From the Void. To this day, historians are still attempting to explain just what led to one of the most horrific events in American history. Over 300 years ago, in the small New England town of Salem, Massachusetts, what started with the accusations of two young girls ended in widespread paranoia and injustice. Ultimately, more than 200 people would be accused of witchcraft and at least 20 were executed. Were the accusers legitimately suffering from some sort of unknown medical malady? Or were they simply children who were lashing out against the extraordinarily strict Puritan way of life? Regardless, things quickly got out of hand as neighbor accused neighbor, husband accused wife, and so on. This week's guest is author Roz Shanzer, whose book Witches, the Absolutely True Tale of Disaster in Salem, is the basis for our conversation. Welcome to this week's mystery, The Salem Witch Trials on From the Void. Welcome to the podcast. I'm very excited this week to have a special guest on, Rosalind Shanzer, who uh, wrote a very cool book that I picked up. Uh, We were just talking about this a year ago in the Salem Witch Trial Museum called Witches, the Absolutely True Tale of Disaster in Salem. Uh, Very cool book, very informative. Um, So I appreciate you coming on today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So Salem is a really interesting uh, kind of historical piece of American history. It uh, Obviously, it's it's not unique uh, to American history, even world history for that matter. We've seen sort of like, quote, uh, witch hunts and, and things kind of uh, get out of control in, in a similar way. You know, we're talking about like McCarthyism and the Red Scare, and, and there are a lot of instances throughout history. So this is a very fascinating kind of sociological uh, instance in history. So what led you to be interested in this in particular and, and write all about it? Well, the funny thing is that my editor at National Geographic suggested that I write a book about witches and um, about the Salem witchcraft trials. And I almost said no, because the last book that I wrote before this one, I had written whole bunches of books. There was um, 16 that I've written and illustrated. And the one right before this um, was banned. And the reason it was banned was that it was about, well, I'll tell, I'll tell you exactly. It was what Darwin saw, the journey that changed the world. And, of course, if you write about Darwin, it's going to have um, some material in it that Texas doesn't want. Like, uh, So that was scary to me, and I thought that. I would not be able to do do the book easily. But when I started reading about Salem, it was so very interesting. And the trials were so very interesting. And the story is so scary that I couldn't help it. And I'm really glad that I wrote the book. It, it was amazing to do the research and to find out what happened in such a strange situation. You know, I, I think that it's important to notice that the book about Salem is written and illustrated by me. And so the art was very important to the book. And I think I think you kind of can tell more about the story by the way the art is written than just reading the words. I think it makes the story come alive. I don't know how you felt about it, but that was um, a fun thing for me. So, um, yeah, I thought that was very cool. I think, I think, I thought the illustrations were very, like, lent a lot to it. And I, I didn't realize that you, that you were, uh, uh, the person who, who did the illustrations. So I, I thought that was uh, exceptionally cool. Yeah. And I have to brag about it a little. You can maybe forget about the bragging part, but it won the best illustrated book of the year from the Society of Illustrators in, um, 
New York City, which is a really big deal. And the book won uh, the best writing of the year from the, it's a cybered award for nonfiction. So that made me feel good too. But I really think that without the artwork, um, it doesn't shine as much. And so I can talk about that part and I can talk about witches and I can talk about all of the above. Yeah, absolutely. So I think what we were starting to do too, um, uh, it was talk a little bit about, uh, kind of set the stage for, for people in terms of, um, what type of, you know, village Salem was at the time, what type of people you're talking a little bit about the, the Puritans who live there, because there are a lot of things that as you kind of dive deeper into this, this story, uh, this historical event, there are a lot of things that kind of go into the stew that created this, um, this horrible, uh, tragedy essentially. Um, but there are a lot of things that kind of lent to it, um, that, that combined into this combustible situation. So talk a little bit about, like, we're talking the the 1600s, this is before we're officially a nation and, uh, we've got these Puritans escaping Europe for a simpler way of life, but they, you know, uh, for those out there listening who know anything about Puritanical, you know, the views of, of the Bible and, and kind of their way of living, it's very, very strict. This was not like a, a fun place for kids to grow up, I would imagine. It wasn't, and we didn't, you know, if you lived there today, you would not like the version of God because God was just a real, real tough guy. And every time anything in the atmosphere went wrong, like if there was a tornado or if there were strange lights in the sky or if people were killed in certain accidents, they all thought that it was the work of God because God was angry with them. And this was a very angry God. And all the ministers, um, well, the minister in Salem at that time thought so too. So in January in 1862, it was a very, very freezing cold day. This is, um, in the, by the way, the, people who came to America as the Puritans at that time, they were trying to escape from the European way of doing religion, which was full of pomp and circumstance and fancy stained glass windows. And um, the popes were often crooked. And they, the, so these people came to America because they wanted a much simpler life without all that pomp and circumstance and just based on basically being good, even though they were uh, terrified of God, they wanted just to be good people. And so, so that's why they came in, in 1624. But by January of 1692, it's a freezing, freezing cold day in Salem town. And the minister of Salem Town, the parson, is is named Samuel Paris, and he's he's the Puritan minister, and he is a furious guy, absolutely furious, because it's freezing cold in his house. The people who run the town are supposed to be paying him money so that he'll have. Uh, logs and things that will make it warm in the house and they're not supplying them at all and he is owed all his money that he's supposed to be paid for being a minister and he's really really angry and he's sitting down writing and doing all his um, sermons about how people should stand up to God and be paid and all of a sudden his nine-year-old daughter whose name is Betty and his 11-year-old niece named Abigail start in this cold, cold place. They start twitching and choking and contorting their bodies into strange shapes and crouching under the furniture and speaking in words that make absolutely no sense. And so the family is terrified. They don't know why this, um, why this is happening to these kids. Now, there's been um, instances of such things throughout the history of the time that the Puritans first started moving to the country, but it had never affected them before, and they had no idea why it was happening now. And so 
they try everything by praying and they try to make uh, it warmer in there and they try to see what's happening and they cannot possibly figure it out. So um, they have two slaves and their names are Tatuba and John Indian. And in those days, uh, people did have slaves and they had a couple of them. And the slave Tatuba actually was stolen from South America when she was a little girl and brought to America. And John Indian her, became her husband, and he was an Indian. That's why he was named John Indian. And they loved the kids. So one of the days that they couldn't figure out anything, um, they went, uh, the parents went to a doctor. And remember about the slaves for a and put that aside for a second. So the parents go to a doctor and the doctor comes and he examines the children and he says that they have been taken over by witches and that they are in trouble because the witches have invaded their bodies and and it's all about witches. So the parents, uh, parents are really upset and they um, go out of town one day to a meeting and while they're gone um, a person who lives near them has told Tatuba and John Indian of a way to get rid of witches that are in the people who are afflicted by such horrible things and so what it, that woman taught them to do was to take the urine of the children and mix it with some uh, flour and make it into a magic witch cake, which they did. They made a round thing. It looked just like a witch cake. And then what they were supposed to do was feed that to a dog and it was going to work. So they feed this witch cake to this poor dog. And as they're doing that, trying to save the children, who should come back home? But the reverend and his wife, and they are absolutely infuriated. They think this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. So everything gets starts to get worse from there. And that's, that's the beginning that sets off the story, which we can, can proceed about. So, yeah. So, so it, it kind of, there's a lot of things happening that kind of, you know, as you say, set the stage. So, um, ironically, you know, the, the kind of match that lights the flame occurs in a minister's house and it's based on, uh, his, you know, his daughter and, and the niece. And you've also got the, the slave who, you know, slaves in those days are looked at as less than human. And she tries to, you know, do this, the ceremony, this witch, make this witch cake that clearly not based out of Christianity. So obviously they're already, you know, up in arms about that. And then, uh, the other thing that you mentioned that kind of lends to this as well as you talk about in the book is you know this isn't witchcraft isn't necessarily something that's new here they they had actually uh cases of witchcraft or claims of witchcraft long before 1692 but most of these cases are thrown out of court um but it's kind of already in the the zeitgeist and furthermore you've got some some ministers that you know i'm sure we'll talk about later innocent in, increase in cotton mather who had been writing books and essays about it in the late 1680s. So it's kind of putting these ideas out there, um, which kind of comes back to the doctor who immediately his, his head goes to, it's not a physical affliction. This clearly is the work of, of witchcraft. They definitely think it's witchcraft. And a lot of people start believing in it and, and panicking. And so it's all going to go to court. And um, first there's and the, People who are running the courts are either dishonest a lot of times or they just don't know or they have special interests. And so if you go to Salem, you can even read all the recordings of everything that went on in court. So I was able to do that. And um, there's pages and pages that show every single page of, of what happened during the trials. And people were coming from miles around and they were afraid of, of the witches. And 
terrified that they might become witches and they started seeing things. They started thinking or saying that they saw apparitions in the air, that people were turning them into witches and, and all terrible things were happening. And the crowds came from mild, miles around to hear the court trials. And what would happen was every time more and more and more people would be accused, they'd all be sent to prison, whether they were innocent, which of course they all were, but nobody believed that, or whether they were innocent or not, they were sent to these horrible jailhouses. And the jailhouses were absolutely flooded with prisoners, none of whom were um, really witches. And so they, if you were in jail, it stunk. Everybody was like chained up. You had to pay for your, your own food and you had to pay, quote, jail expenses. And um, meanwhile, you had to pay jail expenses while people were taking over your houses, while you weren't there, while your children weren't there and they were living alone. And so it was, it was just a horrible, horrible situation, which gets worse. Yeah, so talk about the, because initially it starts out with just a few people being accused, and then obviously it exponentially grows from there. So talk about the three initial people accused of, of witchcraft, and, and you kind of touched a, a little bit already on on um, the state of the jails and that sort of thing, but talk about the three initial accused women. And, and then also I think what's interesting and important about that is also to talk about the kind of the legal process, like how they initially, you know, determined if this person was a witch or not, a witch or not, you know, a physical examinations and so forth. So Paris um, decides Tatuba is a witch and, you know, he scares his kids into saying who are witches. And they said uh, Tatuba and John Indian were witches. So Paris says to Tatuba, oh, you have to go to jail for this, but I'm going to get you out if you admit that you're a witch. And, but you have to admit that you're a witch and you have to, tell a story about how you're a witch, and then I'll just get you out of jail. So Tatuba doesn't know what to do, but she believes her master, and she's sent to jail, and they interview her in court, and she said, yes, I'm a witch, and she tells all this magnificent tale about how she became a witch, and you, you can read in the book what all these people make up, and she really believes that, you know, that Paris is going to get her out of jail for doing this, but does he? No, absolutely not. He leaves her in jail. And in fact, she's one of the last people at the end who even gets out of jail. And the only way that she got out is if somebody bought her um, to be their own slave. And that's, that's what happened. A person bought her. But um, the stories that were made up by the accusers that got all these people into jail, a lot of them, and there were a lot of reasons for that. And some of the reasons for it are at the end of the book, which is sort of the most interesting place in a way. Um, but the people who accused other people, a lot of them were teenagers and they were kind of typical teenagers in a way. They'd go to court and they would pretend that they were being attacked by invisible witches that they would give names to. And nobody who was watching the um, court proceedings could see these invisible witches, but the girls who were teenagers and so forth, um, they would start to twitch and wriggle all around on the floor and scream and pinch, pinch themselves and say the witches were pinching them. And, and they were, acting like they were terrified and they were very creative in their attempts to accuse all these different people that maybe they didn't like, or maybe they were making fun of, or maybe their parents uh, told them to attack because some of the people um, they owed money to, they didn't want to pay the money to the people who, who they owed money to or various other reasons. Um, anyway, Everybody started believing that these creative girls who were twitching and screaming were telling the truth. And so, so many people were accused that were perfectly good people that it was just horrendous. Um, 
and we can talk about who some of those were too. Yeah, absolutely. It's it is it's fascinating though that uh, essentially the you know the thing that gets this whole thing started is basically off the word of uh, teenagers or, or or children essentially, and um, and, and the, the role of what they called spectral evidence, which I thought was a fascinating component of all of this, which is essentially invisible evidence as opposed to physical evidence. And and that comes into play much later, but obviously initially it's just the word of these children essentially that kicks this whole thing off. Yeah. And one of the most interesting people that they put into jail was called the King of hell. And he was a minister that had lived once once upon a time, he was a minister in that town and he didn't get paid. So he moved, but there were, Uh, accusations against him from the people who refused to pay him and they wanted to get him in trouble. So he lived in an entirely different town in Maine and he was brought to Salem because he was accused by the people in Salem of being a witch and and, uh, being the devil actually and accusing all these people and turning all these people into witches himself. And so the one of the girls told terrible stories about him, all lies, and um, told how he got a huge number of women to turn into witches, of course, which they weren't. And he had them drinking blood and doing all kinds of terrible things. And so... Um, he, this guy was actually one of the main people who died and he made a, he was popular where he lived. He was a real nice guy. He was real strong, um, and helped the people in the town to do lots of things. And everybody loved him up there, but he got dragged to Salem. So that wasn't very nice. (laughs) I wish you could see the pictures, um, there's, the illustrations are, are on Scratchboard, and they're not exactly realistic. They're um, more symbolic than realistic. And so Scratchboard, if you don't know what that is, it's a thin hard board, and on top of the hard board is a layer of white, very finely, um, very fine clay, a layer of very white, white, white material. And over the top of that is black India ink. So to make the pictures, you have to use a a sharp tool that's very, very pointy and small and um, scratch through the black part and make the picture appear in white. And so all of these pictures that are in there are done, done with this scratchboard illustration i i think it would really be fun if people could see that part and I'm yeah not I'll sure post how it. we can make that happen but i'll, I'll definitely post some on uh on social media when we when we release the episode they're, they're very cool and very and some of them are extremely detailed so i can't imagine how long it took you to the the atlantic ocean picture in particular is one that comes to mind with the three ships in the ocean um very yeah very very cool it, it complements the uh, the story very well yeah that, that ship in the ocean by the way it's um if you look in the water you can see that underneath the water underneath the boat coming along with them is a kind of the scary form of the devil because they brought the idea of the devil along with them and so that's one of the kind of symbolic pictures that I put on that one page. And, um, yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely post some of these so folks can see, but definitely also go out and get the book uh, for sure. Cause, uh, there's a lot of illustrations in there that I, I think are really neat. So, um, one of the other interesting things too, that I would love for you to talk about is, you know, along the way, there are moments or opportunities, rather, to stop this uh, kind of um, ball from rolling or this sort of avalanche effect that occurs. Um, you've even got, at one point, uh, one of the accused, John Proctor, his servant, Mary Warren, who 
initially is one of the accusers actually admits to lying and says, Hey, look, these girls, they've been, they've been faking these fits. And instead of saying, uh, okay, we need to take a deeper look at this. Perhaps we're, we've got uh, innocent people on our hands. They just kind of, she, she then gets accused of being a witch and then things really start to kind of get out of hand at that point. So talk a little bit about that and just, you know, there, there are other instances too throughout, throughout the story where there are, there are opportunities um, to kind of take a deeper look and maybe even push pause on, on the situation and, and maybe say, Hey, like there's, there's some other motivations here at hand, you know, like you said, you mentioned, you know, potentially financial motivation or, you know, folks that just didn't like each other or just in a lot of cases, some of these people who are accused are just, you know, what we would be considered kind of, odd folks, you know, like people with crooked backs or like just weren't considered quote normal, um, are, are the folks who are being accused of being witches here. Yeah. Some of them are old men that are in bed and old women who can't get out of bed and, um, people who are just kind people or poor people, but there are rich people who are involved too. And people might be mad at them because they were jealous of them or they, felt that they were owed money. And as the end neared, people started thinking a little bit harder about that, and especially when all those people were hanged. And none of them that were hanged, if you if you said you were actually a witch and you were in jail, you were likely to get out. But if you refused to say that, and some people figured that out and they were able to get out of jail even though they had to pay their jail fees first. But if you were absolutely convinced that this was fake, if you weren't at all a witch, you would not say, I am a witch, because they knew that if they died and they went to, quote, heaven, um, and they said that they were a witch, they wouldn't get into heaven because you can't lie. And so you're and if they didn't lie, they would get into heaven. If they said, I didn't do it, they and they were right. When they got to heaven, they'd get out, get out. So they didn't confess. And then those people that didn't confess and that were likely targets for various reasons, they were the ones that got hanged and everybody would come to see them get hanged and they were hanged in horrible ways. And as I said, 19 of them ended up being hanged before people kind of got sick of this and started realizing that it was not kosher somehow. And um, so one of the guys was crushed. They made him lie down and they poured big, huge rocks on his chest until he died. But the rest were hanged and everybody came and cheered and loved that they were hanging. And until it got so old that people said, wait a minute. And um, I know that it's kind of in and out of order, but the judges, some of the judges were corrupt. Some of the people were making money off of the more wealthy people. So they, there was a couple that was a wealthy couple and people were making certain people in charge were making money by stealing everything in their houses by taking over their lands and getting money in many other ways. And the corruption got worse and worse on behalf of all the accusers. And that was um, starting to affect people and starting to make people wonder what was up. And did the people who were the accusers get away with this? Sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't. So if you read the book, and I think the last segment about what happened to everybody after the witch trials is one of the most interesting. And I would leave it to readers to check that out because that's fun and maybe they would like to see in the book what it has to say. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the one of the gentlemen that you that you mentioned just a second ago, I, th- I believe you're referring to Giles Corey, who, uh, from my understanding, you know the, the reason he was essentially pressed to death or crushed to death um, mm-hmm. 
what he was one of one of the folks who who knew that if he spoke up and tried to defend himself during trial uh it was better just to to stay silent because he knew that if he did confess um that all of his property and his inheritance uh would would get taken away in his in his family his children his descendants in, uh, in essence wouldn't receive any of it so he knew that if he stayed quiet uh even even if he was killed they would at least inherit you know his his possessions yeah maybe but the stuff of people got taken away anyway and mm. some of the people were reimbursed a teeny weeny little bit and some people weren't reimbursed at all and a lot of the families who did get out of jail had nothing left to speak of and um you couldn't even as i mentioned before you couldn't even get out of jail even if it was over until you paid all your jail fees so if you were a poor person you couldn't or somebody in your family couldn't help you you could not get out of jail so that wow. was, that was a bad thing and a lot of people a lot of people um you know, I, I remember I was, I went on the tour uh, while I was there, and they talked a lot about the fact that the the jails got to the point where they were overflowing, and as you mentioned, were horrible conditions to begin with. Yeah. On and Absolutely. on top of that, a lot of people were being tortured uh, to elicit confessions, and a lot of folks didn't even make it to trial. You know, either died in jail or died they, as a result of torture. Yeah, they did. Um, and little children were in jail. So there was one little girl who was four years old who was accused of being a witch. She and her mother were the ones that had come knocking on the door um, asking for food from Paris before all of this started. So this little, I think her name was Dorcas, and she's Mm -hmm. four. And when they put her in jail, she's an innocent little kid, and they put her in chains um, for a real long period of time, like tied to a wall with chains. And when she got out, she just never was quite normal again after that i mean who would be after such a horrible thing yeah so, talk talk about the, the the age before therapy you know <laughs> like holy yeah. cow yeah there's there's uh the basic details in the public consciousness uh yeah, everyone you say salem it you immediately think which but not a lot of people know uh the, the details about what happened and kind of the, this cautionary tale behind it Well, all I can say is that people were so super t- superstitious during that period that they believed anything. And so, at the you know, even before the um, witch trials began, um, when the people from Europe, mostly England, came to America, they were terrified even of the Indians. And they felt like the Indians were um, somehow witch-like. And... The Indians weren't, but they thought that the Indians were shamans and all of that kind of things. And there were wars over it, over that with the Indians. So that it was there in Europe and it was there in America before all of this started. And then there were um, cases that can't be solved to this day, uh, fully, can't be fully figured out that people did have that twitching and horrible um, contorting of their bodies, that was already going on. It just came to a head in Salem in particular and with with the humongous numbers instead of large numbers of people that it happened to. But throughout history, everybody that was European really did believe in witches. They really did. And witches would be tortured in Europe before the Puritans came to America. And they'd be hanged and they'd be dunked in the waters and drowned. And um, every time your cow died or every time anybody got sick, a lot of people blamed all of that on witches in advance of Salem altogether. Yeah, and and what's interesting too is it goes all the way up to the the highest reaches of of government at the time too. Like this was kind of a commonly held belief. You know, you talk about in the book about Governor William Phipps, who, you know, again another opportunity to shut this thing down and say, you know, this is probably nonsense. Let's not, you know, let's not continue 
down this road. But instead, he he puts together this court of, I believe it's pronounced Oyer and Terminer, um, which is the first official court, you know, that's kind of constructed to oversee the the witch trials. And he kind of fully endorses it, despite the fact that the the people, these justices uh, that he appoints, none of which are, as you mentioned in the book, like kind of qualified to do what they're doing. Like none of them have degrees in law or, you know, anything of that nature. Um, it's just kind of this group of, uh, for the most part, superstitious individuals with the exception of kind of one guy, this Nathaniel, uh, um, I'm trying to pronounce his name, Satanstall or Satanstall. I don't um, know. <laughs> yeah. He, He's kind of the only one who's like, ah, I don't, I don't know if I buy this. And he at one point resigns, I think, and yeah, himself right. gets accused of being a witch. And you're like, of course. Yeah, you better not resign because you'll get accused. And then afterwards, there were some people who tried to fix matters. They didn't necessarily come from Salem. And they wanted people who had been in jail to be reimbursed. And um, there were some people who absolutely disagreed. And there were some people that were just so plain greedy that, as I said before, they ruined the lives of the people who actually did get out of jail because none of them had anything left. And um, some of the girls, there's a real interesting piece at the end where one of the girls who was the most vocal um, confesses to the new preacher who happens to be honest that she had lied and he helped her uh, write a letter that um, apologizing because she was a really good, uh, she was really good at making stuff up. You would think that she was going to have a book of her own where she made up everything in it and everybody gave her every possible award for her wonderfulness, but she had been lying all along. She was just very inventive. Anyway, um, she said, I did it. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. And I am terribly sorry that I did. And my parents are already dead. And she died when she was pretty young herself after making that admission with the new um, preacher who who was in town who was actually an honest person. Wow. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. Like, um, well, actually, before we get to that point, I, I do want to comment on the fact that it's it's what I find really interesting that I, I wasn't aware of before is the role of the, the father and son, the Mathers, who mm-hmm. kind of have a, a strange role in this whole thing because they kind of in, in one sense feed into this fervor by, you know, writing all these things about witchcraft and the devil. But then on another hand, they kind of come into the story again later on saying, well, I don't know if it's right that we're trying people solely based off of spectral evidence. We should probably look at physical evidence as well and sort of come to the aid of some people. But then also, you know, it's this very strange kind of, uh, connection they have to the whole thing. Everybody has a strange connection and they go back and forth about what they believe and what they don't believe. But I think in the bottom of their minds, in the back of their minds, the people who lied knew perfectly well what they were lying about. And mm-hmm. so they had money issues like they wanted somebody's money or somebody didn't pay them or somebody had to pay them or that they didn't own what they thought they should own. You know, they had all kinds of strange reasons. And that's why I keep saying the last um, chapter is one of the most interesting ones because it tells how and why and who was honest and who was not and who lied. And the other amazing thing is how well the liars told their stories. So there's a link. Um, like if you go on, I think I sent it to you, or if you go on Amazon and look for the book, there's, uh, or in my website, there's a link to a video that tells what one person made up and told. And it's illustrated by me. It's, it's actually, um, I did the little movie one frame at a time to show what happened when somebody believed that witches had swooped down from the sky and killed everybody. I strongly suggest checking that one out. Absolutely. I'll provide that link in the show notes. Certainly. Um, 
So yeah, so talk about like uh, obviously at one point it's 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 so out of control that there are just tons and tons of people sitting in these jail cells w- awaiting trial and but eventually it starts to kind of unravel and mm-hmm. you start to see people kind of start to come to their senses and realize there's just no way that even if even if it were true that there were some legitimate witches here it, certainly it can't be all of these people and and so you start to see it unravel and eventually you start to see people um, getting released from from jail and that sort of thing so what what was kind of the the start to the unraveling of that whole thing yeah it, there's a chapter called the end is here and it tells how all of that happens it get, gets cooler it becomes autumn the wind starts to blow in new england and it becomes obvious that changes in the air and people are just getting more and more scared about it and realizing that some of these people were actually being executed because of hearsay and malicious gossip and invisible evidence that nobody could really see except the girls who, for example, who were twitching around on the floor, but you couldn't see anything. So some people even wondered whether the accused people were witches themselves and especially since they said they could talk so easily with the devil and become some, you know, contorted and and conditioned and everything themselves. And people just far too many people that were upstanding people and Puritans from the best families were being packed off to jail because um, the main accusers seemed perfectly healthy outside of the jail room. So they'd be twitching around in there and then they'd come outside and they'd be walking around and talking to everybody and having a swell time. And they didn't have a bad time till they came back in the courtroom. So hello, something up, <laughs> you know, something a little acting up. perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, the, you, you did mention earlier there, there is some component of this where there was uh, there were some instances where you know people were convulsing and, and seemed to have physical uh, issues. Um, what are some of the theories be behind that? They don't exactly know, but it was really a thing. And um, uh, the two girls that were the daughters um, that started the whole thing, one of them died young, and the other one eventually started getting better and stuff. So whatever was happening, it happened to not just people. It, it, it was something real because some of the cows died, a few animals died, and because it had been going on for such a long time. The fact that it came to a head in Salem was unique because whatever it was that these people were randomly um, being afflicted by was the same thing. They'd be twitching and they'd be um, contorting their bodies way before the witch trials, but after um, 1629, I guess around the 1630s, that's when a lot of that twitching business began. So just somehow it came to a head, right at a bad time or a good time or whatever for witches. Interesting. Yeah. I've heard some theories that, you know, molds in the, in the baked goods and things of that nature, you know, hard, hard to say, but, um, but yeah, just interesting all around. You know, there's there's uh, not a lot of answers it seems, um, and it's and it's hard because it's we're talking about an incident that happened hundreds of years ago, and so um, you know, in terms of any type of evidence or ability to determine if it was some sort of medical malady, it's it's almost nearly impossible to to know for sure. Right, they just flat didn't know. They didn't know about germs. They didn't know about uh, doctors who could, you know treat you the way we do in the year 2022 even and um, I think doctors have had uh, trouble figuring out what's wrong with people forever and it keeps evolving so even in World War II people hadn't figured out everything about how to make people better much less in the Civil War when they'd mop off your arms and legs and not clean their equipment you know, doctors still didn't know anything that much later, much less in the 1600s. And um, so it's a mystery to me. 
Yeah, um, yeah. We can specifically solve that, but <laughs> yeah, we're not quite sure why they did that, but there are lots of possibilities. Yeah, it it is interesting, and it's um you know as you said you know we were still we were still very early in in uh, in the game in terms of what we understood from a medical perspective. You know there there are many cases over the course of history where you know um, people got accused of being possessed by the devil when in fact it was things that we understand today to be mental illness or epilepsy or you know things of that nature. So. Um, a lot of that could probably be contributed to, um, you know, things that we we understand more now than we did, you know, back then. Absolutely, and of course, not just in the Americas, because witches were in deep trouble and were dunked underwater and drowned. If you thought they were witches in Europe too, so that moved across the ocean with the Puritans. It it wasn't made out of whole cloth once they got here. The witches thing was old, ancient. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on. What, any any last thoughts about any any sort of revelations that you discovered while doing the research here that that you thought were kind of interesting? I thought the whole thing was fascinating. I thought it was different from anything I had ever done. The other books that I, that I've written and illustrated are mostly for a younger audience, children, um, ages all the way from like first grade through something like this, which can be can can be attributed to adults even. I think it's even interesting for adults, but it was a young adult book. And um, I, I find it much easier to write something long like this book rather than something short. For example, my best-selling book of all times is George versus George, The American Revolution as Seen from Both Sides. And it's for like grades four and up to adult. And to write a shorter book, which is only 64 pages, is a lot harder um, to put into a small space with tons and tons of content that's going to grab you by the arm. And that book's been still in print since 2004. It's sold about a half a million copies. And it's, it's a lot harder to write than witches where I can put in every single bit of the information and make it be 130 some odd pages and um, with, with pictures in it. So, um, just to set that record straight. Yeah, I could, I could definitely, I could definitely see how that, especially this, this particular story in history. There's so much detail involved in it. It would have been, it would have been nearly impossible to write a short version of this. And I was so happy to be able to do it. It really frees you up because you can put in all the coolest stuff in the whole wide world. And it's not that there's not tons of information in the other books that I wrote about history, there is. And the pictures really help because it tell, they tell a whole lot of the story and keep you know people tuned in. But to be able to write the long version was wonderfully free, freeing for me. I, I really liked doing the longer version of the book. A lot of the books that I illustrated did, but did not um, write were for everything from little children to adults. And so I've done that too, but I did, didn't like the fact that I wasn't able to illustrate those books, even though it was fun to write the pictures. So this was a terrific thing. And like I said, I've written and illustrated, actually it's 17 books for kids. The most recent one is not published, which is a whole nother conversation. Um, it is Abe versus Jeff, the Civil War, is seen from both sides. And I think it's my most important book, but it's too controversial, apparently, at the current time to tell both sides of a war about the Civil War and offer it to a younger audience. Ugh. Uh, as as somebody who you know, uh, my my undergraduate degree is in history. That that pains me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think there's a way to tell tell history in a way that's unbiased, and it is what it is. You know, the facts are the facts. But I agree with you, hundred yeah. percent. 
Well, I hope that comes out. But uh, before I let you go, tell people where they can go to stay up on top of your work. And hopefully when that book comes out, uh, where's the best place to get your books? Well, I do have a website that used to be animated and the animation part of it um, is no longer available because that uh, capability was taken off the air. But it's ros.chant. Let's see. You can also, I'll tell you what's easier. Go to Amazon, look up Witches, the absolutely true tale of disaster in Salem. My name is on it. And if you click on my uh, name or any of those parts, you can also find all of the other books. And they're on Amazon, too. And you'll see something very different from each one of those books in the styles of the artwork. It's pretty fun to to see what else is done. And if you find my website, which I will send to you, um, you can see the commentary and some of the picture pictures for each book as well. Perfect. I'll send you link. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely make sure that the, the link is in the show notes. So please go support uh, and, and pick up a copy of the book. It's outstanding. Like I said, I found it in the actual official uh, Salem Witch Trials Museum in Salem, Massachusetts. And uh, it's a great, great read. Uh, tons of great history in there. And uh, the illustrations just make it. So thank you so much for coming on and, and talking all about this. Well, thanks so much for having me. It was really fun to talk to you. Absolutely. Appreciate Any, <laughs> anytime. We'll have to have you back on when uh, talk about one of the other topics that you've covered. Excellent. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Were the Salem witch trials a result of misbehaved children kicking off a chain reaction of accusations? Were the initial accusers actually suffering from some sort of unknown medical issue? One theory is that perhaps the accusers really were afflicted via a fungus called ergot found in rye, wheat, and other cereal grasses that are known to cause muscle spasms, vomiting, delusions, and hallucinations. Regardless, Salem was certainly an extremely devout Puritan society that firmly believed in the power of the devil's influence. That, combined with the constant fear of Native American attacks, harsh winters, and jealousy between the haves and the have-nots, certainly created the perfect storm for the hysteria that followed. And if we've learned anything from history, we know that what happened in Salem back in 1692 isn't unique to history. All we have to do is look to the internment camps during World War II or the McCarthyism paranoia and the Red Scare of the 1950s. All it takes is fear plus a trigger to equal a scapegoat that creates the perfect storm for a witch hunt. No matter how advanced we feel we are as a society, witch hunts still exist today. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast episode. If you enjoy what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review, and also tell a friend. I'll be back next week with an all-new mystery. And until then, happy Halloween. And thanks for listening to From the Void. <laughs>